Jason Lamb. All right, it's Friday morning on X-Ray in the morning, and this is time for Minority Retort. My name is Jason Lamb. I'm the co-host and co-producer of Minority Retort, the comedy show, which you can see at the Siren Theater. It's an all-people-of-color comedy show. It's hosted by myself and Julia Ramos and a rotating cast of comedic characters. But here on the show, we don't just talk to comedians and talk about comedy. We also talk to other thoughtful and creative people of color who are doing big things in the community. And it was my pleasure to be joined by author Marlon James, who is a Man Booker Prize Award winner for his book, Brief History of Seven Killings. And his new book is called Black Leopard, Red Wolf. And he will be appearing at Powell's downtown location on Thursday, February 14th at 7.30 p.m. And it was a pleasure to talk to him about his new book, as well as growing up in Jamaica, and lots of other things that we discussed. And I hope you enjoy it. Well, Marlon James, thank you so much for joining me on the show today. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Your new book, Black Leopard, Red Wolf, there's a lot of people talking about it. Um, and congratulations in advance of its release. It comes out next week. I wonder if you could tell folks who may not be familiar with it as of yet, even though it is highly um, eagerly anticipated, uh, what Black Leopard, Red Wolf is about. Mm-hmm. Our Black well, Black Leopard. God, I'm, I'm mispronouncing my own book. Black Leopard Red Wolf is uh, a white on it. Um, the the mystery is already solved. There's a child who who has been reported killed, um, but this child was being um, searched for by a bunch of mercenaries, and um, they were hired by a trader to find this kid, and the kid ends up being dead. And you know, inquiring minds want to know why. And there is an inquest, and there are only three surviving witnesses. And each witness, each witness's testimony is a separate book. So each 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 witness account will be a different novel. And this is the first novel out of three called um, Black Leopard, uh, Red Wolf. It's set in a it's a fantasy novel. If I were going to give it a time frame, call it. Europe could have been going through the dark ages at the time, or maybe just, you know, maybe, yeah, Iron Age or so. Um, but that's it, basically. It's, uh, we have, a, we have a, a deceased child on our hands, and people want to know why, and only three witnesses are there, and the first witness is telling a story in this book. And I've read it being described as uh, an African Game of Thrones, and mm-hmm. um, as you mentioned, it's a fantasy uh, it's a fantasy novel. Um, I wanted to find out from you, you know, it's something that might be seen as a change of direction uh, from some of your, your past work. Mm-hmm. But, but as I understand it, this is something that has been in your mind for a long time. And, and like a lot of writers, you know, you, you put stuff on the, on the back burner and, and you come back to it. Mm-hmm. What, what made you decide to come back to this story mm-hmm. now? Yeah. Well, I mean, well, it didn't feel like a change that big of a change for me because there were fantastical elements in all my novels. My last novel, a lot of people think is super gritty and realistic, but it was uh, the, the 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 one consistent narrator is a ghost. So um, 
I've always I've always played with with supernatural and fantastical elements. I think why I, I don't know. I have this theory, and maybe it's just my theory that if you're a writer and you're trying to figure out people, you're trying to figure out humans and how we got here. Um, on on one hand, I've always had fantastical elements in in the stories I've you know I've been telling, but um, I think uh, I don't know. I think um, I was saying that. Usually, I think eventually all writers, once you, once you, you really start to um, try to imagine how we got here and, and, and about human nature and just the very, the very simple but important things like what is evil, um, what is good, and so on, that eventually you end up going back to the myths. Um, you end up going to the, the very first ways in which we used to talk about ourselves and we used to tell stories about ourselves. Um, and for me, it always felt inevitable that I would end up there at some point. And, and you know, I'm not saying I'd be there forever, but I knew I'd uh, eventually go there. It's like rock and roll. It's like rock and roll artists who eventually, if you're a good rock and roll artist, eventually you have to end up at the blues. Right. Um, yeah. So I knew I'd, I'd, I'd have to at some point end up there. I knew I was, and uh, but but then from that springboard, from going back to like the ancient African epics and even ancient European epics, um, fashion something that hopefully is new, but definitely clearly indebted to all that ancient storytelling. Because I wanted to know things like, uh, you know, um, things like the nature of evil and good and, and, and what exactly is identity and, and sexuality and gender and, and love and hate, betrayal, all those things. And, um, and you know it was in, in in going back to trying to tell a first kind of story an original not original is not the word I'm looking for an old story that I you know that I end up um, getting closer to answering those questions I think but how do you feel about the description of uh, Black Leopard Red Wolf as an African Game of Thrones um, hey forget people to read it I don't care <laughs> <laughs> Um, well, I said it. I said it as a kind of a joke. It, it just it just went so viral. Even George R. Martin emailed me, saying <laughs> uh, he heard that I'm writing an African an African version of his book, and he was delighted. Um, it's you know if, if it the, I hope that the the association makes prepare people for that despite the monsters and creatures and and everybody going on on a on a journey that it's still a very much an adult story with uh with adult themes and adult consequences and i think um that's that's one of the things that i think that uh a, a, a game of thrones tags um warrants people up it is not that game of thrones in, in actually in any way really except um you know, there's a there's a corrupt kingdom, or two or three, and they're on the verge of war. But I mean, that's a lot of stories. Um, you know, it's it's. I hope somebody isn't literally expecting, basically, uh, Game of Thrones of grown people. For one, there are already grown people in Game of Thrones. Right. Yeah. So you grew up in Jamaica in the early '70s, and mm -hmm. both of your parents were in law enforcement. Um, and in fact, you were. Uh, your father later became a prosecutor and, a, and was a judge for a time. Mm -hmm. um, and I wanted to ask you, how did that shape your views on what justice is and versus what the law is and, mm -hmm. and how the law is applied? And, and how have, have those views changed 
over time in the era of now where we live in where we have to still convince people certain people that black lives matter and and so forth mm -hmm. um i think it also well for what it depends on the country that i'm in i think um even one of the things I learned growing up with a, a mom in law enforcement and a dad who was in law enforcement as a lawyer is how complicated and how arbitrary those terms can be. That sometimes, sometimes um, justice is 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 the law. It's our natural laws righting itself and correcting wrongs. But sometimes justice is basically who can afford the more who can afford the better lawyer. Um, and, and realizing that and, and seeing how, how things can work and how things can go horribly wrong, um, you know, in, 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 you know, whether we're talking justice or miscarriages of justice. Um, it, it, if anything, it left me with a very, still a very simple idea of right or wrong, despite knowing that things can be incredibly complicated and messy. Because um, both, you know, my mom was a detective, my dad and my dad being a lawyer, most times they're dealing with the messy aspects of justice, they're dealing with the ambivalent stuff. They're dealing with the, the stuff that's not cut and dry. If they were cut and dry, you would need a detective or a lawyer. Um, and I think that's what I learned that even in the in the idea that they trying to define right or wrong, good or evil, justice injustice, that it's it's incredibly complicated and involves a whole series of things that may have nothing to do with crime or anything like that. And I think. Um, that becomes very helpful for for a novelist, for a writer. Um, you know, I don't know if I got it from my mom, but I do think writing a novel is an act of detective work. Um, you know, you're you are solving a mystery, even if it's not a murder mystery. You are, if anything, you're trying to figure out why these characters are appearing ahead and what what are their purpose. Um, in terms of uh, law and justice, I just wrote a novel with uh, with a bunch of people who are mercenaries, and some who take the law in their own hands, and some people who have a higher ideal of what justice is. Um, but it's 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 it, it reminded me how much these concepts are tied to power. Um, you know, of course, this brings us to things like Black Lives Matter and so on. That the the, the you know justice is tied to power, maybe to it to its detriment. Um, you know, and and, and um, justice is justice is not separate from biases and racisms and all these things again that complicated and mess it up. I have to ask you about uh, a New Yorker article that I read, um, or at least a part of it talks about an experience that you had when um, you were struggling with issues of your identity surrounding your sexuality and you turn to uh, the Pentecostal church and um, and, and exorcism is that how they refer to it in the article yeah um, uh, churches call it a deliverance a deliverance only Catholics use exorcism gotcha but anyway same thing it's the same thing <laughs> well I wanted to ask you what made you go to those lengths to uh, deal with what um, challenges you were facing and what the experience well, was like and, and mm -hmm. what, what was the result of it? What made me go through those lens? Um, one thing uh, about that deliverance exorcism I went through, um, and, you, and people may not know unless they talk to somebody who went through it, is that a lot of what I went through was a crash course in what most gay men and women go through at, at ex-gay camps, which are still around. Um, it's certainly North America. 
um, that there comes a time in ex-gay therapy where they do that sort of, we're going to drive this out of you, and they, and they sit you down, and they, they, they speak in tongues, and they have barf bags around because you're going to vomit a lot, and so on. So it's very similar to that. Um, but one thing about, you know, I, I remember um, Boy Erased, which is a, a film that, that's out now, um, one of the responses that some of these Christian churches have said is that the people who 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 ex-gay therapy fail are people who never wanted to be changed in the first place. Um, this is the dumbest thing I've ever heard. It's, it's people who are desperately want to change who go to that. I know because I was one of them. Nobody had to nobody had to um, set me up for it. I volunteered. I asked for it, and most everybody I know who grew up in the church and, 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 and even if you don't grow up in the church you reach these questions you can't answer and, and the great thing about God is God always seems as if he's there to answer the unanswerable question um, and, and Lord knows it's, it's, it's cheaper to walk into a church than to pay for therapy um, but some people want to come to terms with their sexuality and some people did, do not want it and I remember doing categorically not wanting it I don't want to I didn't want to come to terms. I didn't want therapy. I didn't want to accept who I was. I didn't want it. And um, and this is a ministry that's offering freedom from it. So of course I was. I would have. You know, I gravitated towards it. I mean, it's not the only reason why I went to church. Um, it's certainly not the only reason why I stayed in church for 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 nearly ten years. But it certainly is what got me there. Um, this promise that this belief you have that you you know. It's 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 a possession, an affliction, a misdirection, a perversion, all these things that are that are you know that that um, God can fix. Was it mostly internal reasons that you that made you um, explore that versus um, how you're perceived by your family or or just the generic well, society I'm- in general or? Well, I mean, uh, you know, I mean, in Jamaican society, I was still pretty much cut off and 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 and, and a kind of privileged existence. I was, a, you know, I was in the, the art and entertainment world, so I'm in some ways insulated. Um, in terms of family, I think, uh, you know, family definitely, but I don't know if, but it would never have been a discussion that me and my family would have, and we still haven't had it. Um, it would be me feeling pressure that I be slowly but surely being alienated from my family but it's it's um it's not stuff we would we talk about so the answer is yes and no that all these pressures yes but i as i said i internalized all of that none of it was in reaction to anything that happened to me or was going on um you know outside or so on it's not like i suffered a homophobic attack or got ultimatums from my family uh you know would never have, not neither would have ever gotten that far but it didn't need to. Yeah. You said that you it's a conversation you still haven't had with your family. Is it a mm-hmm. conversation that you want to have with your family, or is it not important to you at this point in your life? <laughs> I don't know. You know, Caribbean families, Caribbean families don't talk about certain things and some things they just don't. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know. I, I haven't actually um, thought about it. I'm still pretty close to my family, and... Um, you know, we contact each other and in conversation with other at least every two days. Uh, but it's, you know, it's, um, I don't know, they, 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 it's, it's, it's a tricky thing for most um, Caribbean families. At the same time, 
you know, a lot of these, you know, my family and certainly a lot of these families and a lot of these people from traditionally conservative cultures have come a long way. Um, it's certainly not the way it was now. I mean, the fact that I'm actually still a member of the family is a big thing. You know, I uh, was listening to a podcast that you were on where uh, you were doing a reading uh, from your book, uh, which won the Man Booker Prize, uh, A Brief mm-hmm. History of Seven Killings. And as I was listening to you read an excerpt from the book, I was really fired up. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. As an aspiring writer myself, I was like, man, this is, this is incredible just to hear someone who um, is, is at the top of their game uh, and reading in their own words uh, what, what, what they wrote. Mm-hmm. And I, I found it very inspirational. And I wanted to ask right. you, <laughs> I wanted to ask mm-hmm. you what, uh, what inspires you to, uh, to create and whether it's from other writers or, or anything oh, else out in the world? I mean, inspiration is such a tricky question. Um, like, I remember somebody asked me, uh, yeah, like, what's your, your source of inspiration? And I'm like, oh, my God, I haven't been inspired since the Reagan administration. So <laughs> <laughs> I said, wow, how does inspiration work? I've never had that. I, you know, I... I um, I, you know, I read quite a bit. I read a considerable amount of stuff, and I've always read probably way too much. And um, I read to the point where I come across a story that makes me respond to it. I just like, I want to write something. Not necessarily write that story or anything like it, but a story that makes me want to write. Like the first time I read Salman Rushdie's Shame, or Jessica Hagedon's Dog Eaters, or Toni Morrison's Sula, or, um, you know, early 80s X-Men, or early 80s Teen Titans. Um, reading Hellboy or watching Buffy the Vampire Slayer um, or, or recently Atlanta. These are things that don't necessarily make me want to cre- respond to them, but see, there are certain acts of creativity that just make me want to create. And I think that's it. In terms of um, writing, to me, you know, it's the work. Like, um, I, I, I'm a, you know, I still come across people who say, well, you know, I was in a turbo mood at a turbo week, so I didn't write anything. I'm like, wow, hmm. I don't get those privileges. <laughs> I could be going through the death of a relative. I have to write. The book doesn't get, the, you know, the, the book, the art doesn't care what you're going through. I, you know, I remember um, teaching some students, and they were giving me these excuses, uh, this to do and that homework, and blah, 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 and so on. That's why I couldn't write the story. And I was like, you know, I think you're thinking you're having a hard life. But it's probably not as hard as Virginia Woolf's. <laughs> and she still managed to write a bunch of books while trying not to kill herself. So I'm really not buying your stupid excuse. You know, it's the work. It's the work. And um, one of my best, one of my greatest creative writing teachers, Nancy McKinley, once said, "If you create a routine, the muses will show up." And she's right. So, in terms of inspiration, I set a routine, and inspiration shows up, as opposed to I wait for inspiration and then write. I could never write that way. I'd never get a book done. You have to develop. I think. I think. Um, Americans, you, um, you, Americans in particular have so many negative connotations to the word routine. So I always say, okay, set up a practice. Just like how your dancer friends have to practice, your musician friends have to practice. Every other field of art demands practice. Only writers think they get some get-out-of-jail-free card. <laughs> they wait on inspiration. I'm like, no, it don't work that way. Dancers don't wait for a, a stray thought to dance. It, they practice. 
and uh, and as, and I believe that as well. I, I you know I've always I love the example of why Hemingway walked around with a typewriter because when he puts that thing when he sets that thing up he sits down to work, and that is it to me. Writing is work. It's 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 the greatest fun I've ever had, but it's work. And I look at it as this is my job, and I'm set out to do it. That's great advice. That's great insight um, into uh, into writing and and doing it for the right reasons. Um, mm-hmm. So two questions left for you uh, that I wanted to yeah. ask. Um, one of them is not a very chill question, uh, but my producer <laughs> inspired me to ask it. Um, uh-huh. you, and you talk about the attempted assassination of uh, Bob Marley in, uh, mm-hmm. in your book, uh, A Brief History of Seven Killings. Um, so my producer wanted me to ask, was the CIA behind the attempted assassinations <laughs> of uh, Bob Marley and Peter Tosh? They, they do realize I want to get to my 49th birthday. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know what, I think, this is what I think. I think the CIA was behind a lot of seriously misguided um, efforts in the U.S., in, the, in, 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 Jamaica, in Jamaica and Latin America. Are they involved in the Marley assassination? No, because I don't think Marley was that important to them. Um, were they involved in way too much destabilization in a very horrible, misguided way of eliminating communism? Absolutely. Um, from the School of the Americas, which had one or two Jamaican members, um, to you know, just all the, the, the ways in which in, our, in, our, in their efforts to get rid of communism, they were perfectly fine with dictatorships. And I think, um, and then when they got to the late 70s, they turned a blind eye to a lot of people who were already dealing with, co- with cocaine and crack. As long as you were my friend, I didn't care who your enemy was. And I think that cooperation, that um, collusion, um, and that turning a blind eye, you know, caused a lot of damage. Okay, so last question for you. Um, as we mm. talked about, you're from Jamaica. You now reside in Minneapolis, and you teach creative writing um, and literature at McAllister College. Mm-hmm. Um, aren't you cold, man? <laughs> so, you know, this is, this is a problem. This is a problem. Because I've been there, what, no, 11, maybe, no, I've been there 12 years. The problem is now Jamaica is unbearable. Oh what? Oh really? Okay. Oh my God! I go back to Jamaica and I can't deal with it. I'm like, why? I feel like I feel like this heat is actually oh. literally grabbing me and attacking <laughs> me. Don't you all feel it? <laughs> and they're like, no. It's like, what are you talking about? As, and I, I literally feel the heat is is actually chasing me down to catch me. <laughs> it's weird. And then uh, you know, I'm in uh, I'm in New York and they have four inches of snow and they're all bawling and the airport is shut down. And I was like, you people have got to be kidding me. <laughs> How about minus fourteen degrees Fahrenheit? And I and, and if if it's minus fourteen degrees Fahrenheit and I'm teaching, you better show up at my class or I'll mark you absent. <laughs> <laughs> well, Marlon James, I want to thank you for joining me today. I uh, really appreciate it. You're going to be at Powell's here in Portland on Thursday, February fourteenth at seven thirty p.m. and uh, talking about your new book, Black Leopard, Red Wolf. And uh, once again, I want to thank you for joining me today. Really appreciate it. Thanks for having me.